0: And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. How many of you, let me look, we might, we might have someone in here. Does anybody remember where you were at when Pearl Harbor was bombed? You would have to be, have a little age on you. I understand that. Anybody. We had a couple in the first service. Nobody. You're not going to admit to it, okay. All right, Uh, how about when uh, JFK was shot? Yeah, I was four years old, so I don't have memory of that, but how many of you remember where you were at when 9-11 hit? Yeah, almost everybody, right? Well, last year has been quite unusual. How many remember where you were at last Easter? You weren't here, <laughs> that's right, you weren't here, uh, we did the sunrise service, just John and I in front of an iPhone uh, down on the docks somewhere on the Wakulla River, and then uh, Travis and myself and Corey were here, we were the three people in this building, and we did a, a live stream. You see, the coronavirus has thrown the world a curveball uh, that nobody expected. It's resulted in a lot of change, and change, for the most part, makes people uncomfortable, at least for a season. Well, whether it was me and Travis or whoever you were watching on the internet or the TV, the theme most often addressed was encouragement. We wanted you to know that God didn't have COVID, and He wasn't going to get COVID, and He was still seated on His throne And there's no cause for fear or despair or depression. Now here we are a year later, God is still seated on His throne, and we are gathering again for church. Praise God, thank you for being here. Uh, And in general, life goes on. I want to paint a picture very briefly for you of real desperation. There was this seemingly ordinary man named Jesus. He was from Nazareth. He drew a small band of 12 other ordinary men around Him, and He lived with them and taught them for about three, three and a half years. During that time, Jesus did an untold number of miracles. He healed the sick, He cleansed the lepers, He drove out demons, He fed the 5,000, He even raised some from the dead. All the while, He taught His disciples about the kingdom of God and what it was like. Toward, Toward the end of their time together, they were in Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? And they responded, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked, But who do you say that I am? And Peter, uh, as he's prone to do, spoke up for the whole group and he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Well, the last six months of their time together, they were headed steadfastly for Jerusalem. Three times, Jesus warned the disciples that he was going there to be abused. And that ultimately, he would be handed over to the Jews and they would kill him. Now, the disciples were quite confused at those statements and were really too scared to ask him about it. Last week, we looked at what we call the triumphal entry of Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus, he entered Jerusalem riding on the foal of a donkey. Uh, and it, that was in fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. 9. The crowds, they shouted, Hosanna to the son of, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then on Thursday night, Jesus celebrated uh, the Passover with his disciples for the last time. At the end of that meal, he instituted a new covenant through a meal that we now call the Lord's Supper. And we actually observed that last week, if you were here with us. Early Friday morning, this is right after the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is arrested. The eleven disciples fled in eleven directions. The sheep was struck, and the sheep, I'm sorry, the shepherd was struck, and all the sheep scattered. I want us to consider Peter for just a moment. What was the last thing that Peter said while Jesus was still alive? I want to read you the narrative that gives us that answer. I'm reading from Luke. This is Luke 22, beginning in verse 54. Then they seized him, and Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Here's the most poignant thing in this little passage. And the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? He's just denied him three times. The rooster crows. It goes off in Peter's mind. Jesus said this would happen. And then he looks and there's Jesus looking at him. Then Luke records, and he went out and wept bitterly. So even before the crucifixion, Peter was crushed in spirit. Now, just a little later, in front of Pilate, the same crowds that shouted, Hosanna, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, they now cry, uh, cry, crucify him. Crucify him. And crucify him, they did. Jesus suffered and died on that cross and then was laid in a borrowed tomb. Imagine the despair and the fear of the disciples. Even they had the wrong mental picture of the Messiah. He wasn't supposed to be beaten and die a criminal's death at the hands of Roman soldiers. He was supposed to deliver Israel from all of our enemies, including Rome. But he didn't. Their world was literally turned upside down. How could they have been so wrong? Scripture doesn't give us any real insight into the minds and feelings of the disciples after the crucifixion. The Gospels actually go directly from the crucifixion, or from the burial, I'm sorry, to the resurrection on Sunday morning. But we can imagine the the disillusionment, the, I don't know, disappointment in their hearts. Talk about having a a shadowy and insecure future. It makes COVID seem more like a picnic than a pandemic. But as we know, Sunday morning came. Christ is risen. Let's try that again. That's, that's what happens when you skip, skip Easter. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Uh, Corey was telling me in between the services, on our, you know, from our site, they posted in, in the first service, He gone. That's what color redneck for Christ is risen. He gone. So, and so Cory responded back, He gone indeed. Well, Sunday morning did come. Several women went early that morning and they were going to anoint the, the body of Jesus and, and they found the, the stone in front of the tomb that was already rolled away and there they found an angel who told them that, yes, Christ is risen and I want you to go tell the disciples. Well, at first the disciples thought that their story was just a fairy tale. But Peter and John, they run to the tomb and they look in and, and sure enough, the tomb was empty. Now, over the, next, over the course of the next 40 days, Jesus appeared several times to the disciples. At one point, Peter and some of the disciples are in Galilee. That's where Peter and, and a lot of the disciples were from was Galilee. That's in northern Israel. And, and Peter's not content with just sitting around. <laughs> That's not Peter. So he says, let's go fishing. Why not? Peter's a fisherman. So were most of the disciples. Let's go fishing. So Peter and six other disciples get in a boat and they fish all night on the Sea of Galilee and they catch nothing. Well, it's early the next morning and the boat's about 100 yards from the shore and there's somebody on the shore and they yell out, oh, did you catch anything? Do you have any fish? And of course they say, no. And he says, hey, throw your nets on the right side and you'll find some. So, sure enough, they throw the net to the right side and all of a sudden, the nets are full of fish to the point of breaking John remembers an earlier incident similar to this with Jesus. And John tells Peter, it's the Lord! John knows. (laughs) At that word, Peter puts his coat back on because he's been working. He throws his outer coat on, he jumps in the water, he makes his way to the shore as fast as he can get there. Now Jesus is standing next to a coal fire... It's the same kind of fire that Peter was warming himself at the night he betrayed Jesus. And then through a series of three questions, one for each denial, Jesus restores Peter to full fellowship and service. On the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, 10 days after the Lord has ascended back to heaven, the Holy Spirit is poured out on those 120 disciples, And Peter uh, just has the privilege of preaching the very first sermon in the Christian era, and 3,000 people are saved. Now, the reason I've spent so much time chronicling the story from Peter's perspective is because he's the one who wrote our passage this morning. So when when he writes, He, God, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Peter knows what he's talking about. He's been to the bottom of the barrel spiritually. But he's also been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. So whatever our problems are today, we can praise God as Christians because we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to look at your word this morning, we pray that it would bear fruit in our hearts, that you would take any scales off of our eyes and wax out of our ears and any hardness of our hearts away, that we may uh, see you, hear you, understand Jesus for who he really is and what he has accomplished in the resurrection. We ask that you do it for your honor, for your glory, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. But maybe you're thinking, now Now wait a minute, Dave, that... that, that It's really a superficial approach to my very complex problems. If you knew the things that I'm facing, you wouldn't be so glib as to say that I should praise God now because someday I'll die and go to heaven because of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Maybe you're saying, I'm being treated unfairly at work. Or I've been fired because of my Christian testimony. Or I can't find work and I'm facing severe financial problems. Or, I have a mate who's not a Christian, and it makes life miserable for me. Or, a good friend of mine turned against me uh, without cause and runs me down behind my back. Or, since I've begun to follow Christ, uh, problems have just multiplied to the point where I feel overwhelmed. Or, I'm facing death itself. Now, I've just described in those sentences those to whom Peter wrote this letter. Peter knew all about the problems of his readers, and yet he proclaimed to them, blessed be the God who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, the idea of your future inheritance in heaven, if it doesn't affect you as you face present problems today, well, there's two explanations for that. One, you may not truly be saved. That's... That's one. The other is you may be saved, but you may to some degree be buying into an errant form of Christianity that puts the emphasis on the here and now rather than on our eternal salvation. Reverend Ike, I don't know if you remember him, but he used to say it like this, I don't want my pie in the sky when I die. I want cash in the stash here and now. Now most of us wouldn't be quite so blatant about that. Uh, but I I, I do find many who are into Christianity for what it can do for them now. Heaven, yeah, it sounds like a great idea, but that's, you know, we want the good life now. And if Christ isn't going to give it to them fairly soon, they'll shop elsewhere. Uh, They came to Christ because they heard that God has a wonderful plan for their life. But what they didn't understand is that that wonderful plan often means enjoying the riches of Christ in the midst of pain and suffering and maybe even martyrdom. We need to stop and think about what salvation means. Salvation means that we who justly deserve the wrath of God have been delivered from that wrath through the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. If we're not saved, we're lost. And we're under the terrible condemnation of God. One problem today is that we're trying to get people saved who have no concept of how terrible it is to be lost. That's one of the downsides of being born and raised in America. We have it good here. Who needs God, right? But we're also trying to coax Christian people into enduring hardship in living the Christian life who have forgotten what it feels like to be eternally lost? Again, we're in America. We forget that we're saved from hell. We don't appreciate what God has done in saving us. So as Christians, I fear that we've gotten far away from this eternal perspective. We complain our trials about our trials, and we run after whatever we think will make us happy, whether it's biblical or not. Because we've, gotten, we've forgotten the terrors of hell from which God has saved us and the eternal inheritance that He has given us in heaven. So Peter makes two points here. Whatever our problems, we can praise God because one, our salvation comes from Him. And two, our salvation is safe unto eternity. So number one, whatever our problems, we can praise God because our salvation comes from Him. Peter makes it clear that our salvation comes to us from God the Father through uh, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3, Peter shows us three ways that our salvation comes to us from God. And if we grasp this, if we understand it, if we embrace it, we will praise God in spite of whatever trials we face in this life. Now first, we can praise God because our salvation comes from His great mercy. Mercy is a key word here. Salvation never comes from any merit or worth or from anything in us. In fact, it comes to us in spite of us. We can't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything to predispose God to grant us this mercy. Mercy is His undeserved favor. It's His love extended to us even when we are miserable. We deserve only His wrath because of our great sin but He has shown us His great mercy. Now, if our salvation depends on our goodness, it's not going to be very secure. But if we let go of our supposed goodness and realize that we actually deserve God's wrath and we appeal to Him for His great mercy, then our hope of salvation is as secure as the mercy of God. Whatever problems we face, we can praise Him because our salvation comes from His great mercy. Well, second, we can praise God because our salvation comes from His life-giving power. Peter says that God has caused us to be born again. Does that ring any bells for you? I know it did for Peter. It makes me think of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, that unless a man is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God, much less enter it. So just as we were born physically, we must be born spiritually. And just as we had nothing to do with our physical birth, we didn't will it, we didn't help the process, we didn't pick our parents. Well, so we cannot assist in our spiritual birth. It must come from the life-giving power of God. Now, if our being born again comes from the sovereign will of God, based on His mighty power to bring us out of spiritual death into spiritual life, then it's a sure thing. However shaky life is, we can praise God because our deliverance from spiritual death comes from God and not from ourselves. Well, third, we can praise God because our salvation comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If God had left Jesus in the grave, our salvation would not be complete. His death on the cross... In his death on his cross, Jesus bore our sins. But if he had not been raised bodily, he wouldn't have covered sin and death. Here's what Paul says. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So the resurrection is absolutely necessary. Now Peter, he was an eyewitness of the risen Jesus Christ. At first, he didn't believe the reports that Jesus had had, had risen. But Christ's many appearances to the apostles before he ascended into heaven, it really turned Peter's doubts into a sure and convincing testimony. His depression and gloom over the crucifixion, they were turned into a living hope, a vital, strong, a growing hope. Now, that's unlike worldly hope that often fades and, and grows weaker over time. Living hope grows stronger as the day of its realization draws near. Whatever trials we face, we can praise God because we have a living hope that rests on the sure fact of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, the second main point, we can also praise God because our salvation is safe unto eternity. Peter goes on to describe our salvation as an inheritance. It's locked up in the bank vault of heaven, guarded against any intruder who might try to take it from us. And we are assured that God's power is guarding us so that someday we will enjoy that inheritance. So first, our salvation is a secure inheritance in heaven. Now, of course, Christ himself is our inheritance but it also includes all that he has provided and will provide for those that he has purchased with his blood. Now, it's so vast and so indescribable that the only way Peter can describe it is to tell us some things that it is not. (laughs) It is not perishable, it is not defiled, and it will not fade away. By imperishable, Peter means that our salvation is free from death and decay, unlike any human inheritance. Also, our inheritance is undefiled, which means that it's free from moral impurity or uncleanness of any kind. Furthermore, our inheritance will not fade away. It's free from the ravages of time. It will last through eternity. But you may be thinking, it's nice that all that's in heaven, but but what if I don't make it to heaven? What if I fall by the wayside so that I never get to where my inheritance is located? Well, lastly, we are securely guarded by God's power through faith. Now, protected, Peter uses this word, it's a military term that implies that those who are actually born again are under enemy attack. Satan wants to keep us from gaining our inheritance. But we are surrounded by a garrison of troops conducting us with safe passage to the place where, where our in, eternal inheritance awaits us. But it's no vulnerable earthly army that protects us. It's the very power of God. Think about it. What could be more powerful than the power of the God who spoke the universe into existence? So we personally are guarded for our salvation. And when Peter says that our salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time and you go, well, I thought I was saved. Well, you are But what he means is that now only a small portion do we enjoy of what God has in store for us. We couldn't even begin to comprehend it all but we can trust God that it will be far better than we could ever imagine. So the future, it holds one of two options for you. Either you wait to see the veil lifted on your salvation and you see Jesus face to face or you wait to face God in His judgment. Both are prepared. Both are ready. What determines your future is seen in that phrase, through faith. We receive God's salvation and live the Christian life through faith. Each day, we trust in what Christ is to us and what He has done for us. Those who have tasted of His mercy will persevere in faith until that great day when our faith becomes sight. Well, many years ago, uh, a team of mountain climbers began the dangerous descent of one of the uh, Swiss Alps. The first man in the line lost his footing and went over the ledge. The two men after him were dragged by him, but the experienced climbers uh, higher, they dug in and they braced themselves and they stood firm to bear the shock. When, When the rope ran its length, rather than bearing the weight, it snapped like a string. Horrified, the climbers saw their friends fall to their deaths on the glacier some 4,000 feet below. For about a half an hour, the three men that remained, they stayed right where, that, right where they were at. They were totally immobilized by fear. And finally, they nerved themselves enough to continue the, their perilous descent. And a few hours later, they arrived in Zermatt to tell their sad story. When the climbers examined the rope to see what had, well, why it had failed, they were shocked. True alpine club rope has a red strand running through it, but this rope had no red strand. It was a weak substitute. Now, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing that is strong enough to save you from your sins. If your faith is in yourself, or in your own goodness, your rope will snap and you will perish. But if your faith is in what God has done through Christ, because of his great mercy, then no matter problems, no matter the, the problems you face now, you can join Peter in proclaiming, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for that living hope. Without it, where would we be? So Lord, I pray that if there's anybody out there that doesn't know uh, You through Your Son, Jesus Christ, that today would be the day. Father, they would see Jesus high and lifted up and be drawn to Him. So God, do that in our hearts and we'll give You praise and glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're sitting out there this morning and, and you don't know God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So the way to God is through Jesus. If you do not know Jesus this morning, I encourage you, turn your heart over to Him. That, that makes, that's a, that's a funny-sounding phrase if you're not familiar with it. It simply means, admit, first of all, that you are a sinner. God created us, right? He created us perfect, but we have sinned. And all of us as individuals have sinned. Therefore, we're separated from God. There's only one way to deal with that separation, and that's the blood of Christ. Uh, God sent His Son Jesus to the earth to die on the cross and to be raised again for the forgiveness of sins. So, what we need to do is uh, repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. So admit to God that you're a sinner. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And then trust in what Christ has done on the cross. And He will save you. If you've got questions about that, you come and talk to me afterwards or during the invitation. I'd love to share with you what Jesus says about salvation in Him. If you're a believer, I hope you've just been a little bit encouraged. How many of you like a vacation? Y'all are lying. I only see a few hands. No, we like vacations. Why? We like planning for them, getting ready and, 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 you know, all of that. And then the day comes and, yeah, we're going on vacation. What have you? Do you understand if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are headed to the ultimate vacation? The ultimate vacation. I don't care what's going on in your life right now. Look to that. To the fact that Jesus has died. He's risen again. And you now have a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ So you hang in there Your vacation is coming It may be a year, it may be 30 years God knows But it's coming You hang on to that And you keep marching forward Thank you for joining us For this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville You can find more information And follow us on Facebook Or visit our website CrawfordvilleFBC.com